Good morning. Thank you, Fran. Thank you, David, and the team for leading us. It was, um, I was kind of replaying the words that we've just sung together and reflecting on what I'm about to share with you and, um, and, and thinking of this text, which is really very familiar, isn't it? I mean, as I came and I, and I prayed over it and kind of spent time in this word today, thinking this is a very familiar text, Lord. What is it that you're saying to us? What is your word for us this morning as your church? And and, and, and we just sang, I will rest in your promises. My confidence is in your faithfulness. And let's just underline that as we come to this message today. Our confidence is not in our own righteousness, but in the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus. I also had this sense as we were worshiping this morning that, you know, it's somewhat muted, isn't it, our worship? Because we're, we're singing behind this mask. And just that sense that what the Lord would do that to unmute us, to set us free, uh, to praise him and to worship him um, freely. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I believe that that's a place that the Lord wants to bring us to. And, I, and my prayer is that this morning, that through this, as I share some of my thoughts of coming to this text, that the Lord might also be speaking to you and bringing us all as his people to that place of freedom. Uh, to be able to worship him fully. So what is it that the Lord speaks to us uh, in this text? This is the beginning of a new series of what it means to walk deeper with Jesus. We're going to be going throughout this next few weeks in uh, the Gospel of Luke and hearing not only what, not learning kind of what we can apply from these things, but what do we see in Jesus through his life, through his example that we can apply uh, in our own lives? What can we learn from this? As Fran read from the text in Luke's, um, Luke's uh, recounting of this story, he, he tells us that Jesus was tempted for 40 days, the entire time that he was in uh, the desert, in the wilderness, in this place alone uh, with God. For the entire time, the enemy uh, was upon him and was tempting him. Why is that? And I want to look this morning at what it is we learn. Why, why was Jesus tempted for 40 days? And what do we learn from this that speaks to us today? Well, the first thing is that Jesus, what we need to learn from this is that Jesus was worthy of the Father's approval. If you remember from just earlier in Luke's gospel, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. What do we see in this account that tells us that Jesus was worthy of the name of beloved What is it that we know about Jesus? That he was the son who does whatever pleases the father. That Jesus was faithful. Unlike Israel, who during their wilderness season was disobedient to God. That sought to meet their own ends, to meet their own needs by going their own way. But Jesus submitted himself to the will and to the word of the father. It's interesting to note when we first come to this text that was read this morning from Luke 4, that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And he left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted. Full of the Spirit. This is not a, a place where Jesus was in a place of weakness, but full of the Spirit. 
that these times come upon all of us. In whatever place or whatever season we might find ourselves, that the enemy prowls, waiting for an opportune moment to attack. And yet in each case, Jesus is proved worthy of the Father's love. We learn also about the tactics of the enemy. And in each of these attacks that we see, in these three different ways, there's no question in this about Jesus' identity. It says, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. The question and the temptation is not to, to not so much to prove your identity, but prove your faithfulness to God. And isn't it interesting that these attacks come uh, to attack three basic virtues of the Christian life of faith and hope and love? The first one, verse 3, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Does God truly love you? Can he really, is he really providing for you? Does he really care for you and satisfy all your needs? God isn't taking care of you. You're hungry. There's a need. Why fulfill that need? Does God truly love you? The second comes in verses 5 to 7, where the enemy seeks to, to challenge Jesus' hope in God. He led him to a high place and showed him in an instant the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. If you worship me, it will be yours. Why suffer? Why, why go this way when you can have it now? Why not shortcut the difficulty and the hardship? There is an easier way. Go the way of least resistance. Avoid suffering. Pete Scazzaro um, has written a book about um, deep uh, spirituality. It whistles as you listen. This kind of deeper discipleship. And, and he talks about, actually, in the West, our temptation to follow, like, the Americanized Jesus, he terms him. And not the crucified Jesus. But the Americanized Jesus is one of success and progress, an upward movement. The bigger is always better. And if Jesus is in it, then, you know, doors are going to be open and we should just find the way blown open for us. But the Jesus we meet in the gospel is the suffering servant. And the enemy says, why go to the cross? I can give you this now. What you hope for, have, have it, like skip the suffering. Why have this hope? And verses 9 to 11, the enemy challenges Jesus' faith in God, citing from Scripture, from Psalm 91. Led him to Jerusalem. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against the stone. Will God really protect you? Does he really have you? Can you ultimately trust him? Aren't these the questions that the enemy throws at us on a regular and pretty frequent basis? 
does God really love me? Am I right to put my trust in God? Am I right to persevere? Lord, should I, how do I follow in your ways where this way seems so much easier and this is the way that everybody else is going and the way that seems so much easier for me right now? Why should I hope in you? Can I trust you, Lord, when all these things are happening around me, when my world is caving in around me? Can I trust you, Lord? We've learned that Jesus is faithful of his title as beloved, God's son whom he loves. And he's revealed to us in this the tactics of the enemy. But he also shows us how it is to overcome in each of Jesus' response. He comes to him from probably the words that he's been meditating on over this time from Deuteronomy 6 and 8. He speaks, to, he speaks back to this through the word of God. It's written that man shall not live on bread alone. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The Satan said, if you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus said, I'm not going to serve you. Because he knows that what we worship, ultimately we serve. Where is our worship? Jesus responds and disarms with the word of God. Jesus reveals a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Throughout this, Jesus, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And in that time of communion with the Father in prayer, we have these same weapons at our disposal. We have the Word of God. The Spirit of God is in us. And we are invited into communion with God through prayer, through worship. And as Jesus stood, we read in verse 13 that the enemy, the devil, left him until an opportune time. The word of God, dependence upon his spirit, to be alone with God, to pause, the things that Mark shared with us last week, some of those practices which I, I hope and I've heard that some of us have been applying over this last week. To be reminded of who we are. It's like Paul says to us in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So that when the devil comes, verse 13, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. James Four reminds us we're to submit ourselves then to God to resist the devil and he will flee from us. To submit to God and the devil will flee. But I wonder at times whether we know in those moments of quiet or in the hardship and the difficulties and the pressures that are on us, well, who's leading me right now? Whose voice is this? I mean, I think there's always that way that we can, even as we kind of come to this scripture and when we think of it, we discern and we recognize the devil's voice, it's going to be some sinister, nasty, gruesome kind of stage kind of presentation of this word. But actually, I think his word is far more enticing and subtle than that. Because otherwise, we would never fall for it, would we? 
Isn't it the subtleties and the, and the, the deception that he uses in order to draw us away from God's best? It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But then we read in verse 5 that the devil led him to the high place. And then verses 9, that it was the devil that led him to Jerusalem and had him stand. How do we then recognize who it is that's speaking to us? Who's leading us? Artie Kendall uh, has, uh, speaks in terms of the three R's of spiritual warfare. Recognize, refuse, and resist. To recognize, to refuse, and to resist. To recognize. How do we recognize when the word is coming from the devil? When this thought fills our mind and occupies our thoughts just some pointers. Generally, you're going to find that it puts you down, that it oppresses, that when you have this thought, when it fills your mind, there is no positive way forward, that you feel trapped. And then when the result of following through on this action actually puts you in bondage. How do we recognize God's voice from that of the tempter? How do we refuse? How do we recognize? How do we refuse? We don't dwell on these thoughts. We don't let them nest in our head. But when you recognize that this thought, that this is, Lord, this does not sound like you, then we quickly discard it and we quickly put our thoughts to anything else. Come to the word of God. Be reminded of his truth and his words to us and for us. Worship him. How do we resist him? We stand. When the enemy comes against us, when he forges his attack against us, how do we stand? We don't, we don't walk, we don't run, we don't crawl, we don't fall or, or go backwards, but we stand. That's all we're required to do. Stand. James, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul, put on the armor of God. When the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. That You've done everything and able to stand. We don't have to search this out. We don't, we don't go looking for a fight. He'll come to us. And when he does... Overcoming is standing. And in those times, actually just standing is progress, is victory. So that's it then, right? That's all settled. It's just as simple as that. Jesus has shown us the way. He's shown us how the enemy does it. He's given us some pretty good hints of how we overcome it. We've got his word. We have his spirit. We have prayer. God promises to be with us in power by his spirit. It's good then, isn't it? We're sorted. We have no problem here, do we? It says that the enemy left him until an opportune time. You see, he's still prowling. And he's still very much at work. He is... Uh, uh, 
sort of like this, this wanted figure that roams the earth. So what happens when we fall short, when we fall short? I was listening um, to, uh, well, to Behold the Throne of God this week. It was it's played it actually over and over and over again. And it was written by uh, a young girl called Charity Smith. She was 22 when she wrote those words, mid-19th century around about the time of revival in the north of Ireland. Great awakening to the Spirit of God, to, to the sinfulness and rebellion of, of people turning in their hearts and faith to come back to God. Charity's father was a, was a preacher, a very godly man. He, she was brought up in a, in a very godly home. But she realized that she had a propensity to sin that she could also fail. She knew what it was to feel shame and remorse. And how many of us can say that we've also never felt those things? So what do we do when we somehow fall short of or fall prey to the tactics of the enemy? When, we, when we're not faithful, well, we're reminded in Hebrews that because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Well, that's, that's helpful because Jesus knows what it is. He understands our plight. He understands the reality of the battle that we face. But Jesus was tempted and yet did not sin. But sometimes we fall short, don't we? Sometimes we will still blow it, won't we? I wonder how many times, even this morning, we've actually made a poor choice. Or we've had a thought. Or something that was less than God's best for us. Because all these things that we've talked about, that we can know about the faithfulness of God, that we read in this text, that we can, we can learn about the tactics of the enemy, we can apply these things, we can, this is how we overcome. But the truth is, actually, we can't. It's not going to be a matter of our willpower and our own strength to be able to beat this, to be able to overcome in our own strength. All these things are doing, and, and many of us were good doers. You know, we can, we can do things and, and tick the boxes, but who are we asked to be? Who does God ask us to be? He asks us to be his beloved. Will you know that you are my child whom I love and with you I am well pleased? And that was at the core of everything that flowed from Jesus' life. Everything that followed as his ministry began, it came out of that deep-rooted understanding of the Father's love for him. Before he did anything, this is my son. I love you. And with you, I am well pleased. Is it hard to believe that God says that? That's, that's my thought. I really think we struggle at times to believe in our misery and shame and our wretchedness. 
It's hard to believe that God looks upon us and says, but I love you. I went for a run yesterday for the first time in two weeks because I managed to break a toe. It's a heroic story, but I won't share it now. And, uh, you know, I hadn't run for a few weeks, and so, like, it was no way it was going to be a PB, a personal best. There was nothing sensational about this run. It was kind of just getting the thing done. And the truth is, like, we can't run a personal best every day, can we? I mean, there are going to be days where we're going to be less great. We're going to feel less on fire, less fervent in our faith for the Lord. We cannot run a personal best every day, no matter what we hope or what we pray. There will be days of weakness and failure. And in that place, we can find mercy and grace in our time of need. Because Jesus has made a way for us. Take heart in this. The best of God's people are imperfect in this life. The best of God's people are imperfect in this life. Look at, look at, the, look at the history of those God chooses as we read through Scripture. So you consider Jacob, you consider Moses, David, and, and Peter. Peter, who, who couldn't have spent, like, who could spend more time with Jesus? He was like the inner circle. Walked closely with him. Saw Jesus, witnessed the miracles, heard his teaching firsthand, hung out, chatted over dinner, broke bread with him, and in that, and yet, blew it. But what does Jesus say to Peter? I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. I've called you for more, and I'm praying for you. And we're reminded again in Hebrews that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive and find grace to help us in our time of need. It is because Jesus was faithful. It was because Jesus didn't turn from suffering, but he held out his hope in the true purposes of God and fulfilled his purpose that we can have confidence and that we can find mercy and grace in times of great need, like today. In whatever situation you are facing, in whatever relationship you are struggling through, there is mercy and grace for you today. Jesus overcame, and his prayers, as they are for Peter, are for you and me today. It's interesting that the enemy focuses his attack as we read through this scripture. It's in such a way to divert Jesus from his mission, from faithfulness to God, from the cross. And I wonder where we also may experience the greatest form of opposition from 
the enemy, the one who would accuse us, the one who would put doubt in our minds, who fears in our hearts. Is that the very area to which God is calling you? And how might the enemy be seeking to exploit a weakness that God intends to use for good and to realize great strength? Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and having endured the enemy went away, Jesus then went on in the power of the Spirit, where we'll read later in Luke 4, he declared his mission, his purpose, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How much does God have for us? How much does he want us to know this morning that we are loved and that no matter whatever situation we might find ourselves in, we can find mercy and grace? Maybe this morning we're asking, does God really love me? Have I blown it with him? Have I gone too far this time? To which Paul says there's nothing that can separate us from his love. Maybe we're questioning, is there hope for me in this situation, in this relationship? Is there hope? It just seems so hard. Is there an easier way? Can I shortcut this difficult road? Is there a better way, an easier path that just seems sweeter? The psalmist reminds us that the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So can we trust him? Is God faithful? That song again that we sang, our confidence in his promises, in his faithfulness, not mine. That's why we can read in 2 Timothy, if we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. As we're looking this year of what it means to, to live into and experience the more and the better life that Jesus invites us into in John 10.10, 10, we know that the enemy comes just to steal and to kill and destroy. To distract us and to divert us from God's best that we might have life and have it abundantly. Susan is going to come and lead us in a time of communion. And as she does, it's our opportunity to say, Lord, I surrender again to you. I confess my need for you. I, I can't do this apart from you. Lord, I believe that you have a more and better life than the one I'm experiencing right now. And what is it that God requires? Jesus was asked. What is it that God wants of us? And Jesus said, it's this. To believe the one who he has sent. Let me pray for us now 
as we prepare to take communion and to receive this gift of life. Father, as we wait on you, Holy Spirit, would you fill us again? Lord, we know that the enemy prowls and seeks an opportune moment. What havoc has he created this year where we've been so alone, weakened through distance, separation from community? But Lord, thank you that you have walked with us every step and that we can trust in your faithfulness. Lord, reveal to us the lies that we have come to believe. Restore faith where it's been eroded. Bring hope where there is despair. And fill us again with your love through the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen.